0: Hey there, my name's Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. Now. The following sermon was originally written and preached on Easter Sunday, 2016. However, it was not on the lectionary text for that Sunday. Instead, it was on the road to Emmaus. If you're unfamiliar with that text, I invite you now to pause, check the show notes for a link, or to look it up yourself, read that, and then come back. Okay? Here we go. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ, and a happy Easter to you and all of yours. It's the big day of the year when we remember the most crucial event in our faith, and indeed in all of human history, the day Jesus rose from the dead. Not only did he rise from the dead, but he said he would first, and then did. Sounds pretty ridiculous, right? I mean this isn 't the kind of news you hear every day, and it 's certainly not the kind of news you would believe if you did people don 't just get up once they 've died. Sure, there are those who are medically dead and are fortunate enough to be near EMS or in a hospital or, or someone on the street knows cPR and boof, they come back but that 's not the same sort of thing that 's resuscitation. That's like taking a few steps back in time. The underlying health issue is still there. The fact remains that they will die someday for good. The good news about Jesus isn't resuscitation, though. It's resurrection. He's different enough than most, that most people won't recognize him now at first glance. Things have changed. They might think he's a stranger or a ghost, and he'll now appear and sometimes disappear suddenly. Yet he's the same enough that his wounds remain, and he says and does the same sorts of things he did before. And those who knew him can come to recognize him. Then despite any detail details we may notice are the same or different, the crucial difference between resurrection and resuscitation is simply this. Jesus won't die again. He eluded death in such a way that death no longer holds sway over him. Sounds pretty spectacular. It sounds like pretty good news, but would you believe it if you heard it? This isn't the kind of thing you could just (laughs) take somebody's word on it. So Jesus appears dozens of times. Hundreds of people see it. He seeds the church at its inception with hundreds of faithful witnesses. They've been given all the evidence they could ask for to fuel their faith, and they turn that into energy and dedication to ministry. That's a big enough group to start a huge movement, to invite others in, to proclaim Jesus across the known world, and even, for many of them, to emulate Jesus by dying for this good news. That's all history, though, right? What does that have to do with us? Well, perhaps this is not such a binary yes-or-no type of situation, but it sure seems like most of us could fit into one of two categories. Either our experiences have been enough for us and we've joined those first disciples in taking what we know personally and testifying to it publicly, with our lives, our actions, our words, or it hasn't been enough. Our experiences haven't been enough. And that includes people with many perspectives and walks of life. Maybe the gospel simply isn't compelling to some, or, or maybe we haven't had the kind of intimate encounters with God we'd really need to strengthen our faith, or maybe we believed or would like to believe, but We've just seen too much hardship. Maybe we identify as Christians, maybe not. In an age when more and more people identify as spiritual but not religious, then could possibly agree about what that even means. It sure seems like we could use a few more resurrection appearances. It is certainly worth remembering that of those 20 or so resurrection appearances recorded in the New Testament, nearly all of them are to people who are wayward and doubtful. Paul had been a Pharisee, oppressing Christians. Thomas had grown cynical and didn't even trust the others. Peter goes back to fishing. Then in our text today, two of them were on their way home. They're on the road to Emmaus, and their minds are occupied by what just happened in Jerusalem, by what had happened to Jesus. As we begin this story, we have to keep in mind that most everything in this era, from Maundy Thursday on, is both literal historical account and symbolic teaching. There's more going on than meets the eye. The two men are walking along, and they're uh, they're a little sullen, it's like they're sulking, right? This trip to Jerusalem for the Passover was a, it was a letdown. As they're talking to each other, Jesus appears, but they, they don't recognize him. Again, because Jesus in his resurrected form is just just different enough. But there's symbolism in this as well. They don't recognize Jesus because they don't get the idea of Jesus. They don't understand that this was the point of his return to Jerusalem. They can't, quote unquote, see Jesus because they're looking in the wrong places. They've made up their minds about what happened, how the world works, and what has become of Jesus. You know how people are, not just them, all of us. Once we've made up our minds, (laughs) our minds are awful hard to change. And Jesus plays coy with them and asks them, what are they talking about? That's a shock, right? How could he have not heard the big news? It's the kind of thing that nowadays we might, uh, that might make us ask, do you live under a rock? Have you been living under a rock? How How could you not know what's been happening? But they tell him, Jesus has been executed. It's a grave disappointment. They tell him, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. They hoped He was the Messiah. They pinned their hopes on him as the answer to what they as a people had been suffering through. Under the oppression of various empires at the time, the Romans, they were yearning for generations for someone to free them from what seemed like daily, continual struggle. But it didn't work out that way. Some among them had hoped Some of them, despite all the horrors they had faced, had told them Christ is still alive. God is still with him. Uh, These women who had heard from angels about the resurrection told others, but they weren't believed. (laughs) Isn't it remarkable how far removed this testimony is? The angels tell the women. The women tell the disciples who see nothing but an empty tomb. They tell the others, and now these others still are telling Jesus. The rumor's gotten all the way back around to Jesus himself. It's it's like the world's most unfortunate game of telephone. Is it any wonder why they don't get it? Why maybe they don't buy it? You can see how this connects symbolically and literally with those for whom the gospel simply doesn't quite hit the mark. It'd be nice if there was an all-loving God, if things worked out for a reason, if we didn't have to fear, and yet they didn't get to see it firsthand. They didn't, they didn't even get witnesses who saw it firsthand. They're expected to believe despite how little evidence they've been given and despite how hard life has been. All people, whether they want to admit it or not, are anxious to some degree over the same three things. Our death, our mistakes, and our insignificance. The theologian Tillich uh, expanded on each of these, talked about each of these. He used a bit different language but he comes to the same conclusion that we must once again come to, and that's that the gospel at least tries to answer, to respond to, to solve all three of those anxieties. The good news is that You need not fear death, for eternal life is offered freely. You need not be haunted by your mistakes, for they are forgiven. You can let go of the feeling that you are small and insignificant, because the author of all that is, the very one who deems, who decides, who declares what is meaningful, has already declared you worthy, worth dying for. But these two on the road to Emmaus, they just don't get it. They don't recognize Jesus. They don't know that dying is precisely what a Messiah does. Not fighting. Jesus, of course, is the is the greatest interpreter of what has happened. So he can lay it out for them in terms they are familiar with. He brings it back to Moses and the prophets. He convinces them, using the language they do understand, that Maybe things aren't so bad after all. Maybe there's still something to this Jesus fellow. They are compelled by the witness, and they want to know more, so they invite Jesus to stay with them. It's there that Jesus does the familiar. He takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them, and just like that, they get it. They recognize him. Jesus, as much as the resurrection may have changed him, is still the same person who does the same things. They see Jesus in the one who serves. They know Jesus when they see him break the bread and give it to others. Now, so far, we've seen how this encounter on the road to Emmaus is reminiscent of what it's like to doubt the gospel even nowadays. We can hear the stories, get the gist of it, but the witness just can't compete with the hardships of the world. Their path they're walking on is a path many are walking on today. At this turn in the story, it becomes a little bit harder to see how we might connect it nowadays because, yes, there are those for whom Jesus appears to even uh, in the 21st century. And, and yes, there are those with deep honest, contemplative prayer lives for whom Christ's presence is utterly undeniable. But for those still in the throes of doubt and discord, what about them? We can hope and pray that everyone would get this sort of second chance to meet Jesus again in a new way such that it would reinvigorate their love of God and neighbor and their own lives. We can't hold our breath, though, No, Christ was never interested in disciples who would sit on their laurels. Christ called for disciples who would leave it all behind, who would go out into the world empty-handed, who would face rejection and danger and still profess that the kingdom had drawn near. The Son of God was among them doing the same with his own disciples. (laughs) Remember, The fourth-hand witness about what some people had heard was apparently not enough. Their knowledge and training in the scriptures, these two men walking down the road, even that knowledge was not enough. Their desire for something more wasn't enough. All that these two men had walking along the road and it still somehow was not enough. So for Christians today, it's not enough to tell people that we are Christians and tell them what we believe in Jesus. It's not enough to know that the scriptures and it's not enough to just repeat the scriptures to others. It's not enough to wish it and hope it and encourage others to just keep wishing and hoping. Jesus opens their eyes. (laughs) Jesus (laughs) opens their eyes because he does something. Until Christ comes again, the way the world will get to see Jesus is through his body, the body of Christ, the church, us, by seeing us do something. This is why in the simplest sense of emulating Jesus here in worship, pastors and priests get up and remind everyone. Jesus said, take this bread, eat it in remembrance of him. It's a reminder for those who know the story. These two on the road to Emmaus knew the story. It was enough for them. For the rest of the world, we're called to be like Jesus in other ways, in ways that anyone can understand. Embracing the sinner, welcoming the outcast, loving the neighbor, even the neighbors who happen to be enemies, by picking up the cross, whatever that may be. The slings and arrows of this world, which would punish you for defying their notions of who is better or worse than the next person. Forget this notion. Forget this idea that the rich are somehow above the poor. Forget this notion that the physically fit uh, deserve more than the physically limited. Forget this notion that those born in a certain time or place are automatically our friends and allies and those born in some other time or place are our enemies. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is good news for the whole world, all people, all places, for those who believe it's the assurance of salvation. It's rejoicing in the fact that we are not saved by what we do. We are not saved by what we do. Our mistakes are forgiven. Eternal life is at hand. Our lives are significant. We all, Each and every one of us matter to God Almighty. We matter so much that our relationship with God is not broken by death. Through Jesus Christ, we're invited into resurrection, a life in the age to come. The good news is that the ones who are lost to death, separated from us by this symptom of sin, are not lost to us forever. We are invited to know and love them again. But the gospel, the resurrection, is also a conviction. It's weight on our hearts. It's a responsibility to the whole world. Our salvation doesn't depend on what we do with this news. But how can you hear this news? And hear a story like this, Jesus opening their eyes by doing something. How can you hear such good news, the gospel of your salvation, and then not do something with it? Let's do something. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio in my sermons does not always come with proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my own seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study, and I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave, fairly often. Some credit is due to at least one of those other sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other, be responsible, and have a great rest of the week. Thanks.